Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday service for July 4th for the McGregor EMC Church.
please join me as we pray the Davidic prayer from Psalms 86. And I'm reading it out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life, because I turn to you, Lord. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, rich in faithful love to all who call on you. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress, for you will answer me. Lord, there's no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Yahweh, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. I will praise you with all my heart, O my God, and I will honor your name forever. For your faithful love for me is great, and you deliver my life from the depths of Sheol. God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men seeks my life. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your female servant. Show me a sign of your goodness, and my enemies will see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me.
please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning, this first week of July, with a whole mix of feelings in us. We want to say thank you very much that we are now into the true summer months. Lord, we pray that they find us relaxed. Lord, we pray that they find us refreshed. And especially as it now looks like all of the restrictions are easing for a final time, God, we pray that we do not forget to give praise to you as this process goes on. But at the same time, there is concern in our hearts as well. It has been so very hot. Lord, the crops are beginning to wither. The ground is beginning to become like sand. We look to our brothers and sisters in British Columbia and across the western seaboard, and we see the wildfires, and we see the heat warnings that are causing loss of life, and our heart goes out to them. And so, God, we pray, please bring this heat to an end. Please bring the rains that are so badly needed. And in particular, our hearts go out to all of the residents of Lytton, after the wildfire destroyed so much of the town. God, we pray, be with the survivors. Lord, we bring this before you. And at the same time, following Canada Day, and also with Independence Day today, Lord, we want to bring our countries before you. There has been so very many things over the last while that have concerned us, that have filled us with a combination of not knowing and dread and, and so many other feelings that we just don't quite know how to put words to yet. That God, as we are here at the birthdays of both of our nations, God, we, we want to place our countries in your hands. God, we want to pray for our leaders as they struggle with the decisions that impact our lives. God, we want to pray your wisdom upon them upon all of them, regardless of party, regardless of stance, regardless of anything else, Lord, what we pray for is that we will see you at work, that we will see your wisdom at work, that we will see somehow through the far end of things, your kingdom being built up. And while there are days when we don't see how that can happen, nevertheless, we know that you are a God who can do all things. And so, our Lord, we place these nations of ours before you. And finally, as we are now at the end of the school year, our God, we want to put our teachers and the administrators and our students in your hands as well. This has been a very hard year for all of them, a very confusing year filled with new things that hopefully don't need to remain common things for long. And so now, as they also enter the summer, Lord, we pray, help it to be a restful one for all of them. Help it to be rejuvenating, energizing, so that when September does come around, they will be able to run out into that with all that they are. And for our students that have just graduated and are looking to other things in the fall, God, we pray the same for them as well. Lord, we pray that this summer will be one that they will truly remember. And that when the fall comes, they will see you standing there before them clearer than ever before. God, it is these things that we bring before you today, both our concerns as well as our praise, and we place it all in your wonderful hands. In your name we pray. Amen.
spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me welcome to our summer series after finishing off with the Sermon on the Mount we are going now to be switching gears a little bit to look at the Old Testament for the next 10 weeks or so specifically we will be looking at the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. Now the Ten Commandments are a pretty common part of North American culture because of all the places they have shown up from movies to courthouses and because of that we all have a picture in our mind about what they were all about. When we think about them we see that picture of two stone tablets etched in perfect King James English. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, shalt not make graven images, shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, shalt keep the Sabbath, shalt honor thy father and mother, shalt not murder, shalt not commit adultery, shalt not steal, shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet. Moses himself standing tall on Mount Sinai holding these law tablets from God. God aloft. But have you ever wondered why it is that they say the things that they say? Why of all the many possible rules and regulations out there, those 
10 things were important enough to have ended up on that list. Why it is, with all the things in this wide world we live in, we have these 10 negative statements as a guide for how we are to live our lives. These are the kinds of questions that I hope to be looking at over the next 10 weeks. On each outing, taking one of the commandments, looking at why it's on the list, and in doing that, my hope is that as believers in the God that handed these commandments to Moses all those years ago, we will be able to see over the course of the series not only what we Christians are to be against, but also, much more importantly, what these commandments say that we are to be for. And it is in that that we can also discover how we are to live in response to these commandments as well. And so, with that intro to our series out of the way, let's look at the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And to get the best picture of why this commandment is on the list, especially with the prominence that it has being first on there and everything, there are two real quick bits of historical context to keep in mind, both of which will come up again over the weeks to follow. The first is this. Laws in ancient times, as in before the Roman Empire, were decidedly different things than laws are as we understand them today. This is a point that we've hit on uh, quite a few times over the years gone by, but laws back then were a lot less about individual instructions of what not to do than they were about answering the question, if you live rightly, how will your life look? Laws back then were far more about personal formation, character formation, than about being a list of what is wrong behavior. And this is an important thing to keep in mind because today laws work in a very different way. They work as legal prescriptions. If you violate a law today, you will be in trouble in a very particular way. If you steal a car, you go to jail. If you're caught speeding, you get a fine. Laws these days don't say anything about character formation or how you should be living your life in a big picture kind of way. Just instead, don't do this thing or this bad thing will happen to you. But with how ancient people understood the purpose of law, well, the big picture questions of how to live your life was exactly what they were focused on. Because laws in the ancient world were considered gifts from gods or from their appointees that taught you how to live your life in a way that was holy and pleasing and worshipful to the divine. This is the first bit of historical context to keep in mind. The difference between how laws were understood then compared to how laws are understood now. When we read an ancient law, like what the Ten Commandments are, what we are reading is not just a checkbox of what not to do like our laws are today, but instead these ancient laws lay out how, if you live rightly, if you live how God calls you to, your life should look. And now the second bit of historical context. There is a huge difference in how background religious beliefs played out then compared to now. Today, most North Americans take for granted that the world is a relatively demystified place. We Christians do believe in God, as do most North Americans, but when we wonder how the world works, we assume instead a rational, a non-miraculous, a scientific explanation is always to be found, even if we don't know what it is yet. But this is exactly the opposite of how the ancients understood the world to operate. 
Our ancestors lived in a world where everything had a mystical and a divine explanation. Why does the sun move through the sky? Well, as we are going to be talking about the ancient Egyptians real soon, then one of their explanations was that brilliant Ra was traveling by boat through the sky during the day and under the underworld at night. That's why the night is dark. You name a process or a thing, and the chances are that in the ancient Egyptians' minds, there was some god at work doing it. Wealth, crops, rain, fertility, kingship, aging, and just so many other things. All of these were explained by the work of the gods. And because of that, the question of which gods do you follow inevitably also became linked to the ideas of national strength and well-being. If your nation was strong and her people doing well, that was assumed to be for two reasons. It was a reflection on how powerful your gods were, but it was also considered to be a direct result of the people's ability to appease the gods. Worship right and you will know the gods' favor, which will see you and your people lifted up. And part and parcel with that, the gods were also almost always considered and understood to be ultimately self-interested. So worship them wrong or not at all and oh boy, that's going to go bad for you. And that is the second difference in historical context to remember. Now we in North America assume rationality as an explanation for the world. Then the people assumed gods were behind all of its workings. Gods whose strength reflected on the status of nations and their people. Self-interested gods who could be swayed if you worshipped them correctly and were happy to curse you if you didn't. So now, with those bits of historical context out of the way, there is only one thing we still need to do to understand why this first commandment is where it's at, right at the beginning of the list of the Ten Commandments. And in order to go the rest of the way, we should look at the situation leading up to when the Ten Commandments are given in the book of Exodus. The Hebrew people, we learn in chapter 1, had fallen into slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. If we keep in mind the second bit of historical context that we just talked about, this means that the chances are very high that in their minds at the beginning of the book, the gods of the Egyptians would have been seen and understood to be just top shelf. Also, clearly, the Egyptians themselves would have been understood to be thought of favorably by their gods as well. After all, they were able to keep the Hebrews as slaves for hundreds of years. Also, during this time, the Hebrew people were miserable and they were oppressed. That they would have seen their god, our god, as less than the god of the Egyptians when the story of Exodus begins, and their place in our god's eyes as less than that of the Egyptians in their god's eyes, that also would have been very likely. And it is into this, we read, that a champion is raised up by the Lord. Exodus chapter 3, one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. I am concerned about their suffering, the Lord says about the Hebrews. So I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians to bring them to the land of milk and honey. This, what God says here is very important. Not just to this story, but to our faith as a whole, as we're going to see in just a bit. Because it is not because of the ability of the Hebrew people to worship God that he does what comes next, but instead because he cares for his people. It's because he wants what's best for them that he does what he does. Now put a pin in that. 
it will come up in just a bit. But we read the Lord to the cries of his people next sends Moses to set them free. And so Moses went to Pharaoh in chapter 5 of the book of Exodus. Pharaoh, who, while it isn't actually mentioned in the Bible, from history we know he was a man who was understood by his people to be a god himself. And Moses warns him, warns Pharaoh, that the Lord has seen the suffering of the Hebrew people and he wanted to see them freed. To which Pharaoh says, no, because why wouldn't he? In his mind, the Hebrew people are weak. Their God has been shown unable to protect them from the Egyptian gods, which includes him. Why would he let them go? The Hebrew people themselves would have been wondering much the same thing. What hope did their God have to stand against the might of the gods of their captors? More than that, why would he even, when they had so little to offer and also meant so very little in the grand scheme of things, being slaves and all, to which our Lord proceeded to upend the way that all of the ancients assumed the world worked. Over the chapters that come, act of God upon act of God rained down on the Egyptians. Each that Pharaoh, who again was thought to be a god himself, was wholly powerless to stop. And so, when he finally relents and the Hebrew people are set free in chapter 12, it is not just that our God prevailed against the ancient Egyptian captors, but instead that our God upended what was thought to be the way of the world. In this story, the God of the low lifted his people who could offer him nothing up high, while the gods of the high, whose people were meticulously perfect in their worship as to not warrant their divine ire, were shown to be completely and in every way outmatched. And it is now, after seeing this chain of events unfold, that we can understand why this commandment is on this list in the position it's in. For it is after this, along with some shenanigans that come from wandering in the desert, that we read the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Why should you have no other gods before God? Well, as we have heard, I figure there are at least two reasons. For starters, the simplest. What other gods even compare? Look at Pharaoh in his palace. Look at the rest of the gods of the Egyptians as well. They were thought to be the mightiest in the world at that time, as they were the gods of the mightiest people. And it was not only that they lost the battle against the Hebrew god, against our god, they lost it in a way that made it look like they weren't even competing. Why shall we have no other gods before the Lord? Well, because with choices like this, why would you even want to? And second, the one I would say is actually the most important of all, why shall we have no other gods before the Lord? Because unlike with the ancient Egyptians and their relationship to their gods, one that is based on trying to appease self-interested and disinterested deities, our God as we read in that passage in Exodus 3 that I said we'd come back to, has stated plainly and then acted upon this simple truth. God cares for us. 
He cares for us so much, even though we have done nothing to deserve it, that he would bring one of the greatest civilizations in all of history to its knees because they were hurting his people. Why shall we have no other gods before the Lord? Because unlike all the other gods of the other nations, the Lord loves and cares for us. This is why we have this command. Not only because we are against having other gods before our God, but because we are for having a God at the helm of our lives that has shown us time and time again that he wants the best for us. This is also the greatest of the reasons why this is the first commandment on the list. Because it means that all the rest of the commandments that follow start from this place of coming from a God who wants the best for us. And it's here that we should remember that first bit of historical context we talked about before. That what a law was all about to the ancient peoples was character formation about showing people how to live. Because what that means is that if we as Christians want to take the same message from this passage as the ancient Hebrews did, we are to understand this law to be calling us to live as people who show with our lives that above all else, we value a God who loves and cares for us. That is to be our defining characteristic being in this committed, this caring, this loving relationship, being known for this relationship with our God above, before, and even if needed, to the exclusion of our relationships with any other gods. And while we may no longer feel the need to have to choose between putting our God first in how we live our lives as compared to the lesser gods, a decision that the ancients would have certainly struggled with much more obviously than we do, the implications of this commandment are still very much so relevant today. We may no longer struggle with worshipping, say, Min, the Egyptian god of the harvest, but which farmer among us doesn't look to his field, especially on years like this, where the heat is withering everything, and find themselves questioning whether our God is here at all? Or who among us does not look at their investments in their bank account, wishing for a different kind of harvest entirely? One that would lift up our balance so that we would have it on easy street, able to focus on ourselves for a change, again, shifting our gaze from the one that it really ought to be on. We may no longer worship Osiris, the Egyptian god of kingship and rebirth, but who among us in an election year does not struggle with placing party above what we read God call us to in his word? Or who among us does not look in the mirror some days, craving to reclaim the past instead of embracing what the Lord is pointing us toward? We may not worship the gods of the ancient Egyptians anymore, but you would be lying to yourself if you thought that we do not still struggle with putting Min and Osiris and what they represent before our Lord. And when we do this, we're led straight back into the slavery that our God has already saved us from. So what are we to do to confront the incursions of the world of the old gods into our lives today? Well, to that, the commandment lays the answer out pretty simple. We are to live as if having our God above all else is our law. Not a modern law, where not doing that will earn us some kind of a fine or a slap on the wrist, but an ancient law. 
where we seek to live in such a way that shows that our God is number one. We begin to make prayer a priority. When in our lives we feel that we are struggling, we feel that we have wants, or we feel just delighted by everything, we make a habit of bringing those things before our God. We begin to make reading our scriptures a priority. We make sure that they are something that is on our regular reading list. We, if need to, even carve out a part of the day that that is time to read our scripture. We begin to make church a priority. We begin to take our faith into account when we live our lives and when we make major decisions and we deal with other people. We begin to live in the way our Lord set out for us in the Sermon on the Mount that we covered for the last seven weeks. In the way that like our Lord lifted us out of the depths of society, so too do we work to lift others out of the depths of society that they find themselves in as well. In short, we head in the direction of making our God a priority in our lives. Instead of relegating him to some lesser position under the forgotten gods that swirl all around us. Do that, and with our Lord's help, we will keep the other gods in their place. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Why of all things is this command so important, we want to know. Because our God wants what is best for us, to lift us out of the slavery found by following lesser gods. So I say, we place our Lord before us, above all, and live in a way that shows the importance of this loving and caring relationship in our lives, starting the day. Today's benediction comes from the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and your sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go now and serve our God. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Find me.